0: Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Revealed. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. There are few more appealing folk tales than the story of a gentlemanly outlaw roaming the forest with his band of merry men, robbing the rich to give to the poor. But where did the legend of Robin Hood come from? How come early versions of the story were much more grisly? And would the outlaw archer really have worn green tights? To answer your questions on Robin Hood for today's everything you want to know episode, I spoke to Dr. Sean McGlinn, a medieval historian and the author of Robin Hood: A True Legend. I wanted to start us off today with a question that a lot of people have asked. So H.L. Newfeld has asked this. Bell Buchanan and Anna J. Morrie have all asked, was Robin Hood a real person? I think that's a good place to start.
2: Yeah, straight to the heart of the matter, isn't it? We don't know, but um, uh, while there are no official records of his life, um, this absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. For a start, the, the name may be real for the Robin Hood, but it's more likely a nickname for a common robber. Um, was there an actual real Robin Hood? Probably not. There are simply too many problems associated with the name of Robin Hood. But was he based on a real person? Uh, this is something I'll probably get back to a bit later, but I believe very strongly that there, he uh, was based on a real person.
0: Ooh, a nice cliffhanger for listeners there. But let's start now with a question from franchise five hundred five on Instagram, who's asked, "What's the first known literary reference we have to Robin Hood?" And Ali Louisa on Instagram has also asked, "Is it true that the Robin Hood story wasn't written until the fifteenth century?"
2: Okay, um, both really important questions as we as we move back to discover the origins of Robin Hood. So much of Robin Hood these days is taking the the tales from their written and moving them forward to how the story developed, but my interest is taking it back to the origins. Um, And The first literary reference to Robin Hood is in William Langland's um, poem Piers Plowman from about 1381. It's an allegorical uh, poem of theology and social satire. Um, One character in it called Sloth, um, says, I do not know my paternoster, my, our father, perfectly as the priest sings it, but I know my rhymes of Robin Hood. Uh, so that clearly shows that the tales of Robin Hood were known by the end of the 14th century. Now, if the Robin Hood stories were written down before the 15th century, we have not discovered any manuscripts of, of it. Our whole basis of the Robin Hood legend lies in surviving texts from as Aloisa says, uh, from the mid-15th century um, onwards. Uh, these are commonly known as ballads or poems or short epics. Um, the first of these survives from around 1450, 1465, as with so much of Robin Hood um, history, there's an awful lot of dispute, and we just haven't been able to pin down exact dates. And these original ones' uh, stories were actually found in a manuscript collection which actually includes a prayer for protection against outlaws. So it's so it's really appropriate. So we start with tales like Robin Hood and the Monk and the death of Robin Hood from the 1450s to 1470s. Then we have other tales. Some people may have heard of Guy of Gisborne and Robin Hood and the Potter, talking about 1470 time. But our main source is a jest of Robin Hood, and that's the longest tale, and that's the basis for the Robin Hood stories and that was published at the end of the 15th century and early 16th century. This collects tales from about 1450 to 1465 and is considered the earliest part of the legend.
0: It's probably worth mentioning at this point, isn't it, that the tales come from, as you say primarily, the the 15th century, but when were they set?
2: (laughs) Again, this is one of those problems, Um, because even though those tales were from the 15th century, um the written text, there were plays before them that were performed. And we actually have um, a a play text from 1475, 1476. And we know that a play was performed in Exeter in 1427 because you have record of payments to the performers. Uh, So the texts were probably of the plays were probably there beforehand, but they haven't survived. Now, as to when they were set, you can imagine there's a, a couple of problems with this because, The origins of the stories probably go back to the early 13th century and each phase of development of the robin hood legend could be set in their own time so there might be a story from 1280s 1320s 1380s 1420s and so on just as we do today we update stories and television programs don't we um old television series from the past are updated to the modern age now one of the biggest Clues which I think is a bit of a false clue is that in the story The Gest of Robin Hood, it talks about King Edward. Uh, Now, there were three King Edwards from about uh, 1272 for the following century, so it could be Edward the First, Edward the Second, Edward the Third. But if the stories are a little bit later, 1460 or so, it could actually be Edward the Fourth. So it doesn't really help us, Uh, we don't have that. We don't have anything to pinpoint it on. So even if we focus on language or focus on some of the social descriptions within Robin Hood that, say, or that might say what's going on in society, it only tells you where that particular one is from and we don't know if it stayed the same or if they moved forward in time. Um, so if we don't really know, and my my best guess is that they were largely adopted for the times they were set in.
0: Mm, are these kind of, Canonical early texts is the Robin Hood story in these texts one that we would recognise today this outlaw gentleman stealing from the rich giving to the needy with a band of merry men is that the story we have in these early texts
2: not not entirely no um, and again that's part of the um, element of Robin Hood being developed in the earliest Robin Hood texts as we as we established from the fifteenth century that survive. We have uh, you know, a Robin Hood character we can identify, but the idea that he stole from the rich to give to the poor is only given in the very last two lines of this whole long poem. Uh, very briefly, he said, uh, and he did the poor much good. And, and that's it. So the whole basis of, of of the whole Robin Hood stealing from the rich to give to the poor um, is is taken from that. Some of the chronicles later, make reference to that. But he was also a much more violent character in those scripts than we would expect today. And and his men were more violent um, because medieval audiences loved their blood and guts.
0: Are there any examples of that you could share with us?
2: Um, yes, certainly. Um, well, two. In Robin Hood and The Monk, uh, Little John and Much the Miller's son, to the merry men, of, the, of Robin Hood's band, um, they kill a monk, but with the monk is a young novice, a, a boy who's just joined the Holy Orders or trying to, um, and they behead him, um, because he's a witness, uh, which is not the sort of nice behavior we come to, familiar with from the films and stories, but Robin Hood himself in Guy of Gisborne, uh, he kills his enemy, uh, chops off his head and then disfigures the face with a knife, specifically called an Irish knife for some reason, disfigures the face and then puts the head on top of his bow. But violent. Um, yes. And and if we think about the the Chanson de Geste, the songs of chivalry from the time, we often see, very often see accounts of knights being cleaved in two from shoulder to saddle and, ears and eyes popping out guts spilling out really really violent stuff um uh, but then it's not so different from today with the horror films and um the violence in video games and, and the like um so the violence was part of the entertainment value of the early Robin Hood
0: so I'd like to move us on now to a question from Trasca, which is pretty open-ended. So I'll let you interpret this how you want to. But Traceker has asked, is there any fact in the fiction?
2: I think the origins, there are facts. The actual stories, I think I treat them largely as fiction. But is there any fact to that? It's quite difficult to determine because, as we have already dis- establishing, uh, we're not even sure when the legend is set. So how do you uh, um, confirmed facts from that time and as i said different writers will have set the story in different times and we spoke just a moment ago of the uh giving to the rich stealing from the rich story to give to the poor um and the lines in the chronicles as i mentioned earlier was for he was a very good outlaw and did poor men much good now i refer to the chronicles there um and a really influential one which kind of tries to put facts onto the fiction is from a Scottish chronicler, John Major, in um, the early 16th century. And he said of Robin Hood, and this is written in a chronicle, so it's written as fact, even if the chronicler may have got his facts wrong, just as newspapers and that do. And he (laughs) says, Robin Hood would allow no woman to suffer injustice, nor would he steal from the poor, but rather he enriched them from the plunder seized from Abbots. I condemn the robberies of this man, but of all the robbers, he was most human. So that that becomes fact, even though we're not sure that it was fact at the time. Um, and this chronicle from the early 16th century is written 300 years, three centuries after the original Robin Hood legend seems to have started. So trying to get the facts from that is very difficult. But that's as far away as we are today from Dick Turpin in the early 18th century, so that gives you a scale of the um time distance involved um and i think these the the stories of robin hood from the 15th century have to be treated extremely cautiously as evidence but i think um they're more like should be considered more as entertain as an entertainment now i'll just add to that a really important point which is what has led me in some ways into my research into robin hood Lots of the stories from, say, the 13th century are about heroes such as with the Wake, Eustace the Monk, Folk Fitzwarren. These were very popular figures in real time. Now, the stories around them are fantastical, real sword and sorcery Game of Thrones stuff. So slaying monstrous beasts, uh, rescuing princesses from dragons, um, really far-fetched sword and sorcery stuff. They also had elements of fact in them and all the stories were based on genuine, real historical figures. So therefore, it is not a great leap to think that the Robin Hood legend in the 13th century is also based on an original Robin Hood.
0: Well, that leads me on very nicely to a question from Sean Hall, who has asked just how many criminals, rebels and nobles is Robin Hood a composite of? Do you see Robin Hood as a composite of different people or do you perhaps have a couple of people in mind that you think were real inspirations?
2: I I definitely think there's some real inspirations. um, But the composite point is an important one. And over time, I think that's what he has become. So he'll be based on a number of people. And This is where a huge amount of the fun lies in Robin Hood studies, looking at all these possibilities. Now, of course, Robin Hood was an outlaw. So we look at criminals. Um, I think that's not such a strong path to pursue in a way robin hood became like a nickname for criminals that's how we know the legend was established so there are lots of robin hoods who are criminals um and they're all over the place it's a bit like calling uh, uh, an electrician sparks or that type of, of name that goes with the job um now we have criminals from the um new yorkshire from the early 1220s. Um, there's one in the records called Robert Hood fugitive, um, but there's lots of Robert Hoods and lots of Robin Hoods who are in in criminal records, and he possibly may have been Robert of Weatherby, some historians think, um, who was I think was hung in 1225. Um, but the sheriff who arrested him later became uh, sheriff of Nottinghamshire and Derbyshire. There was no actual Sheriff of Nottingham until 1449. Uh, So even then, history divides. um, And the trouble with criminals is that they are criminals and they're not heroes. They're violent, nasty characters. And with Robin Hood, we need a hero. So I think we need to be looking elsewhere. Um, On the noble side, this idea of of Robin Hood as a noble character, the famous one is the Earl of Huntington. Many people have heard of Robin Hood as the Earl of Huntington. but that can, has to be dismissed. Um, there's no truth to that because that was only an, an invention of the uh, of around 1600. So n- nearly four centuries after the original stories. Again, this is really interesting because Robin Hood, as we know, is the everyday hero for everyday people. Um, but in the Tudor age, because he was so popular, uh, the upper classes wanted to appropriate him to themselves and make him their hero you know, the, the hoi polloi, the ordinary chaps can find another one, or we want him as one of ours. So they elevate him in status to this idea that he's the Earl of Huntington. So it's a social uh, grab, really, um, for the upper classes. When it comes to people like rebels, I think we're getting really close to Robin Hood there. Um, I think it's a really interesting category. There are a couple of candidates that stand out here. Uh, there's Roger Godbird from the mid-13th century. Now, this is the time of Simon de Montfort and a baronial revolt against Henry III. Simon de Montfort was cut to pieces famously in a battle when he, he lost. Now, Roger Godbird was on his side and therefore was on the losing side, but he continued the political struggle against the king and the government. Now, he therefore is both a political hero to some while being an outlaw against the governments. He he works very well, and I think he's important in the story of Robin Hood, but he's a little bit too late in that time. If we go back to 1216 time, we have another character called William of Kensham. Now, he was an ordinary forester-type chap, um, but this was a time when the French invaded England, and they occupied half of England for a year and a half. and it's, it's like this forgotten invasion. And the part of England that was occupied, uh, William was fighting a guerrilla warfare against the French. Um, and therefore, he was an outlaw because he was fu- opposing French rule, but he's a hero for the English resistance. And we have endless chronicle, well, not endless, but plenty of chronicle accounts and government records talking about William of Kensham. Um, and indeed, one chronicle of the time, Roger Wendover, says that uh, William was in the forest, ambushing the French, and with his band of bowmen. So it's kind of, and that is the only time you have that specific link in any chronicle to Robin Hood and the bows in that way. So yeah, uh, I think I think the rebel element is more important in the in the story.
0: This this search for the real Robin Hood, to kind of nominate who he might have been based on, is really interesting to me because it's so tantalizing, but. From the way that you spoke about the stories earlier as potentially entertainment, could it just be that this idea of Robin Hood wasn't inspired by anybody? It was it was an archetype, it was a stereotype, it was a fictional character. And that actually leads me on to a question from Tom Bullock, who said, could Robin Hood just have been made up to give people false hope that someone was fighting on their behalf?
2: Well, the beauty of Robin Hood, it can be all things to all men. What you said is actually true about could be an archetype figure. Um, indeed, he might even be based on the wood spirit the, becoming personified as a person, and that that is a real possibility. My argument against that, and I think it's, you know, I don't, I wouldn't dismiss it at all because I think it's, it's a very much a possibility. But my argument against that is, as I explained earlier, that these famous tales from the 13th century, which is when the Robin Hood legend developed, for all their fanciful. Inventions are based on real characters, so the real person is, the, is is the way in for people to identify and to be entertained. So I, I think that's important. I don't think he was created um, to as uh, for full soap, but I do think he was uh, taken on and um, engaged with as someone who can offer hope against uh, in, injustice. I I think that was a a really important um, point about uh, the Robin Hood legend. When the the existing tales, it's a time of political turmoil, for example. We have the Wars of the Roses are starting, Um, we've got War on the Lad. People are complaining about um, justice uh, not being fulfilled, so people need a hero. Now, that works in the 15th century, but it works any time, doesn't it? It works today. It works in the century before the Wars of the Roses. It can be applied any time. So he is very much a figure of hope because he's going to rectify the wrongs of society. Um, and, and that's important. So And it's quite interesting. We have uh, an example from 1441 in Norfolk uh, at a time of unrest. There's a gang of yeomen and labourers who are having trouble with one of their local gentry, and they gather together and they shout, we are Robin Hood's men, war, war, war. So this idea of of justice as well is important because of, corrupt, because of the criminal element. Lots of people thought that the criminal system was corrupt. It was, really. And that punishments could be very unfair. So they're trying to correct that. But law and punishment was very, very harsh. Um, they didn't really have a network of prisons, like we do today, so um they had to make the punishment clear and harsh as as a warning to others, but sometimes it went too far, and of course, the people with the money could bribe judges and bribe witnesses and the like and and get away with with crimes so uh people wanted to have some way of developing hope uh against the system and even when it was not real, even though we, the characters might not be um might not change the system. As an audience, even like today, we like to see the baddie get his comeuppance. So the Robin Hood character provides that kind of satisfaction.
0: Still to come on the History Extra podcast.
2: But it's really important to remember with Robin Hood and social message and all the rest of it, that he's still entertainment. And that's the first and most important reason for his success. He's an attractive character. Uh, We keep adapting him to new times. And that keeps him fresh and alive. And he's basically one of us helping the
1: likes of us, uh, which we always identify with. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster.
0: So I wonder if now we could talk about some of the the Merry Men, the other characters in the story. Toby on Twitter has asked, is there any factual basis to any of the other characters in Robin Hood? S. Hughes on Instagram has asked whether some of these characters were only added in later versions of the story.
2: Familiar Robin Hood characters who are not in the original uh, manuscripts are Maid Marian, who's from around uh, 1500, Um, Friar Tuck, though he is mentioned in one of the plays. And Alan Dale, the minstrel, um, the singer minstrel, he doesn't appear until the 17th century. So, you know, very late indeed. The Maid Marian character is, is basically a f- fiction figure. She was present in the May Day festivals, uh, the celebrations of May Day. She seems to been brought in around 1500. And it's very possible that she had her own traditional stories behind her as well, separate from Robin Hood, because we hear in 1509 about how the Maid Marian stories are combined with the Robin Hood stories. And in the May Day festivals, they are the king and queen of misrule. So that's how they they come together, but nothing based on fact. The Sheriff of Nottingham, as I said, there was no Sheriff of Nottingham until 1449. There's a Sheriff of Nottinghamshire and Derbyshire. Of course, he's the bad guy, the official figure of authority who people can rally against. Little John, he probably had his own story tradition, but whether he's real or not, uh unlikely in that sense. But we do have Little John's in the records from 1313 and from 1292, Little John as a criminal. Uh, so there are records of him, but again it's a popular name. I think the most interesting one is Friar Tuck in many ways, actually. Um now he was first known news was in 1417. Um and the name Friar Tuck was used in a criminal record of that year for the leader of a criminal gang in Sussex, and Surrey. And we know who this person was. He was Robert Stafford, who was a chaplain and a, a, a priest. Um, and the scribe writing the record, the, the, the judicial record, said, uh, this is an unusual name in common parlance of Friar Tuck. So that may have been based on um, some element more likely i'm afraid to say though it's more like robert stafford was uh being applied to the fictitious character
0: so so he was a chaplain that ran a gang yeah yeah
2: uh, yeah and and it, it's quite remarkable if you look at the, the 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 crime in the 13th century how many priests and people in the clergy were outright criminals i mean uh a shocking proportion of them is it's, it's truly astonishing Um, Getting up all sorts of uh, no good and blackmail, thieving, violence, financial irregularities. But we have to remember so many people were in the church at that time as a a form of employment. Um, And that's reflected then in, in the crime. It's a really interesting study to see how many people in the church were not just moral criminals, as it were, but actual violent gang criminals. It's a huge number.
0: Fascinating. So, next we have a couple of questions about royal figures in Robin Hood. I suspect that these may have been inspired by um, the Disney animated film um, of Robin Hood and Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, because as you said, the setting for for Robin Hood in the original stories is not that clear. But by the time we get to these later iterations that a lot, lot of people are familiar with, we've got two main royal figures, haven't we? Which is King John and King Richard. So, Leslie Brown on Facebook has asked, why King Richard um, the Lionheart the first generally comes out as a good guy in most versions of the stories. I think Leslie Brown is not a fan of Richard the Lionheart. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, I wonder if you have an opinion on that.
2: It's interesting because the the setting of the Robin Hood story in King Richard's reign comes from this chronicler I mentioned earlier, John Major, from the early 16th century. Um, and he says, to his best estimate, as he says, uh, that the stories were set in the reign of uh, Richard the Lionheart. Of ten years of his reign, he was only in the country for under a year, so he's an absent king. I excuse Richard of this as a uh, as a negative thing in my book, Blood Cries of Fire. I explain why it was important for him to be out uh, of, of the kingdom, and leave it to, to, to the rule to other people. Um, he had very important interests that served the country by fighting in France, so. Prince John then becomes the bad guy because when Richard is away um, and on the noble and pious cause of crusade, as they saw it in the Middle Ages, John tries to take power, uh, to take the throne from Richard. And then Robin Hood is loyal to Richard and opposed to the evil doings of Prince John. Um, And this is quite important because it allows Robin Hood to fight against the enemies of the king, to be loyal to the king, a loyal subject of the king. When there's something wrong with the country in the Middle Ages, uh, people would protest against the king's evil counsellors. They'd never say it's the king himself. Uh, That's a bit of a safety uh, uh, mechanism there as well. Um, And this is what Robin Hood is doing. He is being loyal to the true king and stopping the evil usurper John from taking his place. Now, I on the other point about the King John's reign itself, from eleven ninety nine to twelve sixteen, I think this is when the legend really takes off with Robin Hood, and it's in the reign of King John.
0: Modern history on Twitter has asked about the reign of King John, and has asked, did the administration of King John really provoke banditry, which is a really intriguing question?
2: There's always an element of banditry, and the worse the government is, the more breakdown in law or, and order is it, there is. Actually, I would take the point to take it a lot further. So bad was the administration of King John uh, that it wasn't the way he ruled the country in itself that led to banditry, but it led to the French being invited to come in and take over the country and for Prince Louis of France to become the new king of England. So it's even worse than just causing banditry. It created a French invasion and occupation of England for 18 months um and so and it's therefore that gives william of kensham who is this chap i mentioned earlier the chance to fight against the french at a, and become established as i think as perhaps a, a the best real life inspiration behind uh, robin hood but yes it is it's beyond bad administration so catastrophic that the french are invited to come in and rule england
0: We've got a question now from Paul Orton on Facebook who has asked, why is Robin Hood commonly known as Robin of Loxley? And can you sort out the disagreement between Sheffield and Nottingham on Robin's origins? I have to say, Sean, I've got some skin in the game here because I am from Sheffield. So what's your take?
2: Uh, Yes, this is is a sensitive area as I've often discovered when being interviewed alongside people representing Nottingham Tourist Board and the like. Um, Because... Because it's it's a huge industry, and people want to lay claim to Robin Hood, it's very lucrative. Um, you know, they'd be proud of the association. Of course, it's a huge money spinner. Um, Loxley, the whole Loxley element, well, uh, this is, again, late 16th century, so it's much later invention. Don't even know which Loxley it is. Uh, the only one we're aware of is one in, um, th- in Yorkshire, but not in Nottinghamshire. So it, it's disputed. Much effort is put in, in the t- looking at the text to discover the place names because a lot of the place names are real. Um, I mentioned Piers Plowman earlier, which is a, a strange tale, but it's set where it's set in Shropshire, the, the name places are all genuine and real. So uh, we, we have that in, in Robin Hood. Um, but again, the story is there from the 15th century. Now, two centuries, two and a half centuries before... Um, were the story set in that same area, Nottingham and Sherwood before or not? We don't know. It, it may very well be the case that the story settled there after two centuries. Um, and then that's, and that's the only surviving manuscript we have. So we, we we fixate on that. And it's always an odd thing because Sherwood Forest, even when it's a lot bigger in the middle ages, um, we automatically connect Sherwood Forest with Robin Hood. But the whole forest in the Middle Ages could be crossed at its l- longest point in a day, so it wasn't very big. Now, again, using the tales as evidence is dodgy because if you think about it, uh, the Sheriff of Nottingham or, or whoever with all his men must be very incompetent if they can't find Robin Hood's men, who's always given it as a band of 140 in a, such a small area. Um, and, and it goes beyond camouflage, doesn't it? Um, and when you think about it in winter, the leaves are all gone. So the people are exposed and all the smoke from the fires of the camps, you know, they have to cook the venison they've poached somehow. Um, uh, it, it's impossible not to find someone in that, um, small area. And if you look at other outlaws in history, like Jesse James and the like, they covered huge areas to avoid being caught. So no one's going to set up in just one area of Nottingham or Derbyshire or wherever uh, and it's like commuting into work through a, an ambush point, which everybody knows about. It, it, it's not realistic. I think we shouldn't invest as much as we have done in assuming that these are definitely the places just because you have this one source of evidence. Well, even Literary evidence, not actual chronicle evidence, but literary evidence on it.
0: Well, Hamish Ross has asked whether there are similar stories from other regions in the UK.
2: And that's a really good question. And yes, which kind of reinforces the point I've just made earlier about settling on, on um Nottinghamshire. Um the Robin Hood tales is, is important, fits in perfectly with the whole tradition of uh medieval outlaw tales, of which there are plenty. Um so we have Hereward the Wake, mentioned in Cambridgeshire, Falk Fitzwarren in the Welsh Marshes and elsewhere. Um, And the popular story of Adam Bell, Clem of the Cloth and William of Cladsley around Carlisle. Um, And even Willikan of the Wild has an oral folklore tradition in Kent. So, yes, different areas will have these different stories. um, Again, which makes the fixation on Nottingham slightly dubious, I would think.
0: And broadening things out even more, um, BL Chaplin on Instagram has asked About Robin Hood type tales in other cultures and other countries?
2: Uh, Yes. um, And I would imagine every society uh, at all times in history, present and past, will have their own type of characters. Um, And no, a little bit about a couple of them. Um, Tantia Bill is known as a Robin Hood of India. Uh, Gaspard de Best is known as a Robin Hood of Provence. Uh, Johannes Buchler is known as a Robin Hood of Germany. in, in their own countries. Not, this is not names we are putting on them, names they have adopted for themselves. So, so yes, they absolutely do. Um, An interesting, Tanty Bill and, and Johanna's Book Club were independent fighters, rather like William of Kensham, um, but also um, we have this Robin Hood connection. I, I think, more distortedly, we do come across as criminals being called the Robin Hood. Robin Hood. So Billy the Kid, Jesse James, we have those. Um, less uh, approvingly we have Al Capone and Bonnie and Clyde, Robin and Marion. Um but even the truly evil Pablo Escobar was known as a Robin as a Robin Hood figure. He's universal, absolutely.
0: Leslie Brown on Facebook has asked another question, which is that in many of the historical stories, Robin also takes from the church as well, which is something you mentioned earlier. And how would those stories have been received in an era possibly before the Reformation?
2: This is interesting in a number of ways. The church was wealthy, um, owned anything, you know, a, a quarter of the land in England, and the bishops and abbots were wealthy landowners. And of course, the church is meant to uh, help the poor and and help distribute charity and the like um and in so doing um if they fail to do so they're they're criticized so there's huge debates in the church about the church and money and uh, was, the ch- was the church allowed to have money or should they all be poor and of course when they weren't giving enough money to the poor and were traveling around in their riches it created resentment but interestingly at the time of these robin hood Tales from the mid-15th century. We have a movement in England known as the Lollards, heretics, who like precursors in some ways to the to the Reformation just mentioned in, in the 16th century. And they were very much opposed to the wealth of the church. In, in the jest of Robin Hood, Robin tells his men, okay, to attack and take money off these rich abbots but don't take it off poor knights or farmers or ordinary folk and indeed one of the surprisingly the least known but tale of robin hood which, which is the absolute at the heart of the robin hood original tales is one of about an uh, one of a knight who borrows money from an abbey the abbey of saint mary and is unable to pay the money back and it's not one of these great rollicking adventures where there's. Archery competitions and swashbuckling and all the rest of it—it's actually a financial tale of, a bit like a bank advert, really, or, a, or a, a, a mortgage loan advert on the television. It's very dry, actually, um, but it's all about money from the church and how Robin helps this poor knight pay back the money to, to the church. Uh, so yes, there there are a universal target of criticism, a bit like um, today. We might talk about fat cats and corporations or or, or, people with an awful lot of money, uh, figures of resentment, and and therefore targets of both um, literary and actual physical attacks.
0: So now I want to ask you two of what are possibly my favourite questions of this podcast, which come from Melanie V Davis and AgroBiodiverse, who have asked... Did he really wear a green outfit with a feather in his cap? And AgroBiodiverse has asked, what's with the tights?
2: Okay. Okay. um, Sartorial history is not my thing, but the costume of Robin Hood seems to be just basically based on later medieval clothing as depicted in manuscript illustrations. So obviously green is the colour you want in a forest if you're hiding for camouflage. But actually at one point in the jest, the, the men are dressed in, Bright red, <laughs> which is is not what you want uh, when you're trying <laughs> to hide from your enemy. Which again goes to show that I think you should take the the jest not too seriously as evidence. Um, but actually, there's actually more to this than one might think because in the the final counter of the jest, King Edward, uh, when he resolves himself with Robin Hood and they all they're all great pals and slapping each other on the back, um, buy some Lincoln green cloth to be dressed in so this lincoln green cloth is a sign of uh of the, the wealth of the, and, and the importance of the textile industry and it's associated with the middle classes because of, of the type of business it is so this cloth making and lincoln green and all the rest of it associates robin with the middle classes now robin hood is therefore identified as a hero of the bourgeois or the middle classes the merchants artisans and that just as the knights have their heroes on horseback with swords and charging into battle, now Robin Hood becomes the hero of the middle classes with their concerns about loans and the cloth industry and the like. So, um, yeah, that th- there's an element of uh, s- social commentary there, actually.
0: Next, we've got a question that might seem strange when we're talking about a fictional character, which is one of the most searched for queries on the internet, which is, where is Robin Hood buried?
2: Well, we talked about the concerns of heritage and tourist industries because they all want to lay claim to it. Um, the main one is that he's been buried in a private estate at Kirkley's Park in West Yorkshire. But ground radar shows no sign of soil disturbance. Uh, yeah, there's 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 nothing to that. And, and it gets kind of... Uh, <clears throat> Clutching its straws, really, because there's an old stone grave in Saint Nicholas Church in Loxley in Warwickshire, um, and that's cited as as possibly his, you know, air quotation marks, uh, grave, just because it's an old coffin and it says Loxley. So we we don't we don't know, I mean, if he existed where he's buried, we don't know. But the story around Kirkley's Abbey is that um, Robin, at the the end of his days, went to the Abbey to have his blood lit there as as a as a health process. And his kinswoman is, was the prioress, but she tricks him. Uh, and with this character called red, red Roger, they trick him and and kill him. Um, his blood starts flowing thinly and he's realizes he's about to die. Mm-hmm. Um, red Roger then runs Robin Hood through and k- finishes him off. But before he does so, Robin manages to kill him, leaving his corpse to be eaten by the dogs. Um, uh, and as Robin prepares for death, he gives his burial instructions to Little John. Uh, Set my bright sword at my head, my arrows at my feet, and my I lay my U-bow by my side. So, it was all made up. But famously, we have the later variation where Robin is on his deathbed and he tells Little John, uh, I'll shoot my bow and bury me where the arrow lands, which is a wonderfully romantic way of looking at it. But... Let's find the real Robin Hood first, if we can.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So moving forward a few centuries, um, Ali Louisa has asked which film or TV series you think is the most realistic, or we can perhaps just say best, portrayal of Robin Hood that we've had so far.
2: Uh, This is an easy one for me. I mean, I like quite a few. I think Kevin Costner film Prince of Thieves is good fun. The Russell Crowe one is good fun some problems with the accents there, settling on what, what, which part of the world Russell Crowe's from. But my favourite is definitely from 1976, Robin and Marion, with Sean Connery and Audrey Hepburn. Uh, this is the most human Robin Hood. It's a, it's a realistic. It's not an over-the-top doing jumping through the air, doing cartwheels and shooting off 10 hours at a time. It's it's, it's kind of set in reality, as it were. And, uh, and it's a down-to-earth portrayal, and I, I I actually love that film.
0: I'd have to fight you to defend Uh, Kevin Costner there but we'll move on and Leah Falcon has asked what impact the Robin Hood myth has had down the centuries
2: um well it's huge and it's as much as ever now it it would seem um we have two great heroes in this country Arthur and legendary heroes Arthur King Arthur and, and Robin Hood Robin Hood is very recognizable all around the world and adapted all around the world he went a bit Quiet in the 18th century, kind of went into semi-retirement in the 18th century. Um, But then, when Walter Scott's famous novel *Ivanhoe* came out in 1820, um, which was a massive success, Robin Hood appears in there, not as a main character, but he he is in 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 the story. And that just there was an explosion of popularity of Robin Hood stories. And in fact, at one time in London in the 1820s, there were five theatres simultaneously uh, showing Ivanhoe, uh, at the same time, you know, all at the same time. So is that popular? Um, and he's there again you know, during the cold war, for example, both the left and the right can see him as a hero of their cause, you know, fighting for the good or fighting against tyranny. Take your, take your pick. Um, and even now there's a, a series called arrow, which is, um, a reinvention of a, of a comic figure, from the last century which is very successful so he keeps being adapted throughout the ages and continue to, and will continue to do so
0: Well that leads me on to our last question from Brendan Mitchell which is just why has the tale of Robin Hood endured for so long?
2: Well we always need a hero to right wrongs don't we? Uh, we always have and we always will do um, against those who rule unjustly uh, and maliciously uh, championing the cause of the oppressed against those people Um, he's a way to right the wrongs, to give a sense of satisfaction that even if it doesn't happen in real life, we have the satisfaction of it happening in, in entertainment or art. But it's really important to remember with Robin Hood and the social, social message and all the rest of it, that he's still entertainment. Um, and that's the first and most important, uh, reason for his success. He's an attractive character. Uh, we keep adapting him to new times. Um, and that keeps him fresh and alive. And he's basically one of us helping the likes of us, uh, which we always identify with.
0: That was Sean McGlynn, the author of Robin Hood, A True Legend. Thanks to everybody who submitted a question for today's episode. And if you'd like to send one in for a future episode, make sure to follow us on social media at History Extra, where you'll see weekly shout-outs for this series. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Ben Newitt.